thank you, Jamie. And I think uh, God answered uh, our prayers this morning. She, sh- she shared that she was nervous when she started today, but uh, I think God equipped you and you shared with us beautifully. That was her song she wrote, and so thank you so much, Jamie. Well, there's theory, and then there's experience. Take water skiing, for example. You can read about how to water ski. You can watch videos of other people water skiing. You can talk to people who water ski. But to actually water ski requires going into the water and trying to get up on the skis. And many years ago, when I was a young man, I joined some friends near a cabin in a lake, and we had access to a boat that weekend. We planned to water ski, and I had never done that before. So I talked with others who had done it, and one was a very experienced water skier, and he said, it's quite easy. You just sit in the water with your skis, and you wait for the boat to pull you up. Well, the next day I went down to the lake. It was my turn, and I put my skis in the water, pointing up, and the rope was in between my skis, and I gave the thumbs up, and the boat took off, and on my first attempt, I waited too long to stand up, so fell backwards. On my second attempt, I got up on the skis for a second, but then leaned forward too far and face-planted. On my third attempt, I lost my balance. On my fourth attempt, I got up on the skis and stayed in the wake behind the boat. And then someone in the boat pointed to another spot in the water where it would be easier to ski. Well, by that time, I had amassed one minute of water skiing experience. Why not try something new? So I tried to cross the wake to the smooth spot and completely wiped out. And I think I tried a few more times and got a successful two or three minute run. I was okay as long as the boat didn't turn. But lakes eventually end and boats have to turn. So I wiped out on each one of those and then I was done. And in the boat recovering, I had a new appreciation for water skiing and water skiers. Before that, I could only imagine my own ability to do it. I didn't really know what was involved until I actually tried and experienced it. So there's theory, and then there's experience. This applies to water skiing, and it applies to walking with God. And I wonder today about your walk with Jesus. Is it mostly theory, or are we gaining experience by doing it? Are we walking with Jesus? Are we abiding or remaining in him? Or might we be like Judas, who we saw last week, looked like a follower of Jesus, but in the end showed that he was disconnected from Christ and betrayed him? Well, today we're going to consider the question, who experiences Jesus as Messiah or Deliverer or Savior? And Jesus will reveal who? And he does so by mentioning two common practices of those who know him. But he not only focuses on the practices, he emphasizes his own commitment to those who connect to him. 
And my prayer is that this message today will strengthen you with hope because of Jesus' deep commitment to you revealed in this passage. So this comes from the same gospel that we looked at last week, the gospel of John, but we're going back a little earlier to John 10, starting in verse 22. And if you want to follow along in the Bibles we have, it's on page 759. So John 10 verses 22 to 30. And it reads like this. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So this incident takes place during something called the Feast of Dedication. And it provides a symbolic backdrop for this encounter. This feast celebrated the rededication of the temple for true worship of God that had happened about 200 years previous. There was a king named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he had an empire that included ancient Israel, which was called Judea at that time. He demanded loyalty. And he tested this by insisting that everyone follow the same religion, which was basically Greek god worship. Well, the Jews resisted this, so the king turned his wrath against them. He issued decrees forbidding many traditional Jewish practices. He persecuted devout Jews, and he tormented them with pigs, of all things. Because pigs were restricted or prohibited for the Jews according to the dietary laws. So the king forced Jewish priests to eat pig's flesh. The king provoked the entirety of Judaism by having pigs sacrificed on the altar outside of the temple. And then he forced the priests to sprinkle pig's blood inside the temple. This happened in 167 BC in late November or early December, and it led to an armed rebellion against the king. Today, it's known as the Maccabean Revolt. And it went on for three years with, with much suffering and loss of life. But eventually, Antiochus died in 164, and the Maccabeans broke free and ruled an independent Jewish state for about a hundred years before the Romans came along. Well, in the first year of Maccabean rule, on the anniversary of the defilement of the temple by Antiochus, they rededicated the temple to true worship of the Lord. 
And this feast is now called Hanukkah, the festival of lights. And it was celebrated with lights symbolizing the nation's rescue from a time of darkness. Now in our gospel, John, a couple chapters earlier than this, Jesus has claimed to be the light of the world. And he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this encounter happens right around the Hanukkah festival, a festival of light, a celebration of deliverance from darkness. And notice that John also points out that it is winter. Now this could simply be information for a non-Jewish reader, for a Jewish reader would know, well, the Feast of Dedication occurs during late November, early December. But some commentators wonder if John is emphasizing winter as another symbol of the spiritual climate in Jerusalem. For Jerusalem and the temple was ruled by the religious elite who had collectively rejected Jesus. So we've got this incident happening during the Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Lights. It is winter. And then John goes on to tell us the location of this encounter in the temple in verse 2. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, which was a roofed structure supported by pillars. And so it probably would give some protection from the cold of winter. It seems to have been located on the east side of the temple complex. Scribes taught their students there. And it's referred to again in Acts 3.11 and 5.12 where the disciples would later teach and do ministry. But Jesus is not teaching at this point. He's simply walking. But then in verse 3 we're told about the Jews. Now, whenever John uses the phrase, the Jews, he's not referring to the whole Jewish people. He's referring to an unbelieving group of religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus. And this translation, the ESV that I read from, says, they gathered around him. It sounds like they're students wanting to be taught, but the word is much stronger. It more means to surround, to encircle, to hem in. They are serious. They want to force an answer out of Jesus. So they ask, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Their question implies that Jesus has been unfair to them. They feel he's led them on or dodged their questions. But it's also possible that they feel greatly threatened by him. For some may have picked up that Jesus' teaching was leading to the end of Judaism. He has warned them that they will die in their sins unless they believe in him. And he looks for and accepts people who are not Jews as his followers. So the Jews would no longer have exclusive claim to be the people of God. And imagine if someone came along and said, Christianity is over. You would feel threatened, as we are, as many people seem to think that would be a good idea today. So this group likely felt threatened. They wanted a clear answer so they could accuse, arrest Jesus, and get rid of this threat. Well, Jesus gives them an answer 
but it's not a simple yes or no. Remember the question, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. Well, that would be a yes without using the word yes. But when did Jesus tell them? Early, earlier in this gospel, we have only two instances of Jesus actually revealing himself as Messiah. One was to the woman at the well in John 4, 26, when he says, I who speak to you am he, the Messiah. And then he tells the man born blind whom he has healed in John 9, 35 to 37, that he is the Messiah. So when Jesus says, I told you and you did not believe, he's not referring to a time where he said to the religious leaders, I am the Messiah. He seems to be pointing either to the direction of his teaching or as you remember last week, we were talking about all the I am statements he made, which were claims to divinity throughout the book of John or he could be pointing to the miracles that he's done as a testimony to his Messiahship. And that's where he points in verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. They point to me as Messiah, in other words. And then Jesus makes a judgment on those asking this question in verse 26. He says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Jesus can plainly see they are against him. They don't believe him. They have not accepted him as Messiah. They wanted him to tell them plainly if he was the Christ. And he tells them plainly about their rejection of the Christ. They are not experiencing him as Messiah. They know about the Messiah concept in theory, but when the Messiah is right in front of them, they are not ready to plunge in with belief. And then Jesus talks about those who do experience him as Messiah. And here we discover the first answer to our question today. Who experiences Jesus as Messiah? And the answer is, his sheep who listen to his voice. Verse 27, my sheep hear or listen to my voice. And Jesus already taught on this earlier in John 10 when he made the statement, I am the good shepherd. He notes in verse 3, 4, 5, and 16 that his sheep listen to his voice. And this goes back to the reality of real shepherds with real sheep. At nighttime, shepherds would bring their flocks to a common pen or sheepfold. And the sheep would all go into the pen and all the flocks would get mixed apart or mixed together. But in the morning, the shepherds would call their flocks and only their sheep would follow the shepherd because they recognized the shepherd's voice. If you have a dog, you know a similar principle. Your dog learns your voice. It experiences your care, provision, commands. It learns to recognize and follow your voice. So if another person comes along and tries to command your dog, it is much less likely to listen. And in a similar way, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. 
So the question begs to be asked, whose voice are we listening to? Or what voices are we listening to? Are we making time and space to listen to Jesus' voice? Or are we allowing all the other voices in our lives and in this world to crowd him out? Other voices include our culture and all its messages through media, songs, movies, celebrities, authorities. Other voices include those close to us, like our family, friends, co-workers, and classmates, teachers, or bosses. Our internal thoughts are another voice that can speak to us. And then there's the enemy who lies, accuses, and tempts us. All these voices compete for our attention. But Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. And if you're following along with the Abide series, you know that the week two focus is on hearing God's voice. Does God speak today? It explores and invites us to think about this. So what do you think about that? Do you believe that God speaks today? That Jesus speaks today? Now some of you, some of us, might be very uncomfortable with this question. Because we may have experienced someone who claimed to have heard God's voice and then used it to justify sinful or abusive behavior. And I understand that concern. It's disturbing when someone claims to have heard from God and then they bully or pressure you to do something or to believe something. Many religious cult leaders do this. They claim to have heard from God or that they are God themselves and then they get their followers to do these crazy things. These cult leaders control others by their force of personality, not by hearing God's voice. And one simple way to test anyone who claims to have heard from God is to look at Scripture and test their claims against Scripture. Does what they claim to have heard line up with Scripture or does it go totally against Scripture? So if someone claims, well, I heard God tell me to divorce my wife and marry someone else. Well, that doesn't line up with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19. So yes, we might be suspicious and scared of any mention of hearing God's voice because we've seen abuses. Yet we must be careful to not let the abuses override Jesus' desire to speak to us today. And others of us might think God doesn't speak today because we've never heard him speak out loud to us. We may think an out loud voice is the only way that we could hear from God. Well, friends, I've never heard God or Jesus speak to me out loud. But he's spoken to me in so many other ways. The most common way comes when I'm reading or listening to the Bible and then something stops me. A verse jumps out or I have a deep sense of conviction in my heart or I sense the Spirit impressing upon me the word that God wants me to see in that moment. God definitely speaks through his written, written word and I think most of us here would agree that, with that. He also speaks, I believe, through other people. 
He speaks through the words of a song. He can display his glory to us in nature. But we need to listen. We need to make space in our schedule and minds to listen. And the practice of personal devotion that we talked about last week provides that opportunity. We set aside time for an encounter with the living God. So Jesus says, those who listen to his voice are those who experience him as Messiah. And then notice, as he goes on in verse 27, I would think that after saying, my sheep listen to my voice, Jesus would say, and they know me. But, but look at what he says in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. So let's just think about that picture for a moment. We think that we're, oh, we've got to try and discern Jesus' voice, and we've got to do all this stuff so hard, and he's putting us to the test, and he's going to see if we're really serious and all that. Yes, we need to listen. But Jesus knows his sheep. He's watching for those who want to listen. He wants to help. He wants to speak. He cares deeply. And then at the end of verse 27, he reveals another common practice for people who experience him as Messiah. This is the second one. Who experiences Jesus as Messiah? His sheep who follow him. So verse 27 again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So the sheep don't just listen to Jesus' voice and then say, well, thanks for that, but I'm going to completely ignore what you said, Jesus. Looking forward to chatting again sometime. No. Not only do sheep listen, they follow. And if we want to experience Jesus as Messiah, we need to not only hear his voice, but do what he says. Remember James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So if we hear God's voice and direction and we don't do what it says, we're engaged in self-deception. But then Jesus goes further. His commitment to his sheep goes beyond knowing them. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish so there's a life waiting for us that's infinitely greater and glorious than the trial-filled experience that we go through right now yes we must walk day by day through the trials and tribulations of this life but Jesus gives us eternal life and we can even taste it today for Jesus says in John 17, 3, when he's praying to the Father, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Which means, yes, the new heavens and the new earth will be incredible. But the greatest part of eternal life is knowing Jesus and seeing the Father face to face. But then Jesus goes on with even more commitment to our relationship. End of verse 28. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Commentator Leon Morris writes, the gift of eternal life that we have received from Christ is not dependent on our feeble hold of him, but his firm grip on us. We may not be saved from earthly disaster, but we will be saved no matter what earthly disaster falls. And then he ties in our relationship with him and our, to our relationship with the Father in verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And this is slightly different than what has just been said about Jesus' hand. Jesus' statement says, no one will snatch them from my hand, meaning we have a future. But the statement in verse 29 points to the power of God. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. The shepherd is all-powerful. The sheep have nothing to fear. So who can experience Jesus as Messiah? His sheep who listen to his voice and follow him. There's theory and there's experience. You can read about Jesus as Messiah. You can talk about it. You can debate about it. But to experience him as Messiah requires us getting into the water with Jesus driving the boat. And he speaks his words. And he helps us with the waves. And he stops when we fall. And he will never let us go until he brings us home or returns himself. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And you know every one of your sheep's sheep here today. You know what's happening in their lives. You know their worries and their wounds, their fears. Yet you are the great shepherd, the protector, the faithful one. And so, Lord, we pray that you will today remind us, remind us of your great care for us. And that you invite us to listen to your voice and follow you. And that you hold us with your firm hand. May that be a great comfort today. And if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, I pray that you will draw them to yourself as the good shepherd. Open their eyes to see their need. Enable them to call out so that you will save them. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite our leadership to come and join at the front as I have some news to share with you. A few weeks ago, I joked with you about turning 60 years old. I shared the normal jabs and fun we give one another when we age. 
However, we all know aging is a reality and it takes its tolls in various ways. And over the past few years, I have noticed several things that are different about me. I have less tolerance for certain things that used to not bother me much. I have a bit less passion than I used to for certain challenges in ministry. I have at times wondered if I'm avoiding taking risks for the kingdom because of my own limitations. Recently, I received some medical news that has given me more reason to evaluate my call here. It's not life-threatening. However, this news has implications for my health and capacity to minister in the lead pastor role. Therefore, through much prayer and discussion, when reflection with Lori, we have decided I need to resign from the position of senior pastor of Sturgeon Valley Baptist Church, effective October 31st, 2023. This was a very difficult decision for us because of our deep love for you. However, it has involved years of praying, seeking, and listening to God and others that we've consulted. I believe this is the best decision for my health and my family, but I also believe it is ultimately a good decision for SVBC. I believe God has great things in store for this body as SVBC goes into the future. People have come and gone over this church's history. Pastors have come and gone. Yet this body of Christ remains because the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, continues to provide. And I have always said, don't ever call SVBC Tom's church. It's not my church. It's Christ's church, and he is the head. And I was called to serve under his leadership for a time, and he will provide others in his time. He has looked after this church for 47 years, and he will look after it going forward. After finishing our time here, we will seek the Lord deeply for his next steps for us, and I pray that God will unveil a situation where I can serve that will glorify him within my new reality. SVBC will always hold a special place in our hearts. Nearly 18 years ago, you took a risk on a pastor you didn't know with a wife and three kids ages nine, six, and two. Those kids grew up in this church family going through the children and youth ministry. All three were baptized here. One chose to have her wedding here. Many of you poured into their lives. And you also poured into Lori and my life through your support and encouragement and prayers and cards and gifts. And we cannot express how deeply we appreciate these tangible gestures of your love. We've had our ups and downs through these years, but I think we will remember the ups a lot more than the downs. I remember the building of this sanctuary in 2006 and 2007, a terrible time to build economically as everything was so expensive, and yet the Lord provided. I think of the Read the Bible for Life program where we tried to connect more deeply with God through his word. I remember our journeys through obscure Bible books like Judges and Job and Ezekiel and Revelation. But one of our greatest memories will be the fellowship times. SVBC is not a perfect church, but there is an established culture here of intentional connection with new people that has impacted many 
And that intentional connection continues as people care for one another, whether it be on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. SVBC is a church family, and I pray it never loses that. I want to conclude with some thank yous. Thank you to our church leadership, those who serve presently, those who have served with me in the past. Thank you for standing with me advising me, praying for me and stepping up. God has used you to sustain me for as long as I've been here. Thank you to our church staff, past and present. You've put up with a lot in working with me day to day. You had to endure my strange quirks. You've had to endure decisions I made that have caused you stress, yet together we aim to minister in a way that glorified the Lord. So thank you for your help. Thank you to the many of you in our church family who invited me into the special moments of your lives to dedicate your children, to baptize you, to offer counsel prior to marriage, to pray with you, to officiate your weddings, to serve the Lord's Supper to you, to visit you or your loved ones in the hospital or in a home, to stand with you at the graveside. You invited us. You supported us in our fellowship groups. And I want to thank you for those significant moments of your lives and sharing them with us. And thank you for your grace. There were times I failed. Not perfect. Sometimes I said something wrong in a message or worded an email badly or said something that didn't come out right. So please use those memories as a reminder to put your faith in Christ, not in a human Thank you to my kids, Caleb online. They've given me perspective and counsel over these last years, especially, and have helped me to see where I am at. They have prayed and supported, and I love you all so very much. Thank you to Lori. She has stayed with me through every up and down over the past 18 years. Without her support, I would have resigned years ago. But she prayed and listened and encouraged and gave perspective and stuck with it even through the tough seasons. So thank you for everything. And I look forward to discovering God's next steps for us. Finally, thank you, Lord. He's sustained me, protected and preserved me through 18 years of ministry here, 34 years of ministry so far. His grace has brought me safe thus far and his grace will see me home. 
So now, SVBC family, you need to come together. You need to pray and support this leadership. You need to pray with one another. And you have opportunity to participate in what God will do next here. We will continue to pray for you and would appreciate your continued prayers. Thank you so much. Sincerely, Pastor Tom and Lori. And Tom, uh, I'm going to ask if you would step down to the floor here and leadership if you want to come with me as well. And uh, we're just going to, we're going to pray for Tom. We're going to pray for this whole situation. So I'd ask the congregation to also stand with us. And if you want, you can come closer. We're going to lay hands on Tom and we're going to pray for him in this time. Dear Heavenly Father, first and foremost, God, we say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the time that you have given us from Tom. Thank you for the many blessings that he has brought to us, God. He mentioned many of them in his resignation letter, weddings, baptisms, uh, membership classes. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for his family's impact on this community. Lord God, I just pray that right now that you would send your peace here to him. Help him to know that we've got his back into this new chapter of his life. And I know it's on his heart. So God, I pray for the congregation as well. I pray that we would stand up in this time. That we would be bold and strong and lead people to know you, God, as Tom has shown us how to do. I pray for all that are uh, feeling maybe a little bit sad at this moment. God, these tears that we shed are because this is our beloved brother. This has been our leader over the last 18 years. And again, I just want to say thank you. Let's leave this time with a thankful heart for all that God has given us through Tom. Tom, may you be blessed as you go into this next chapter. I pray all these things in the powerful, bold, caring name of Jesus Christ who has us in his grip, as you said. Amen.